On this episode of the Physio Foundations podcast, I'm speaking with physiotherapist, business owner and runner, Kevin Liebethal, about how he's brought together his passion for running with his clinical practice and how he helps runners return from injury in the clinic. And I'm also going to ask Kevin about his interest in strength assessment and strength training in the clinic. And we'll find out about his entrepreneurial side with his side project, Gravel and Tar. Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast, where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So on this week's episode, I'm talking to physiotherapist Kevin Liebethal from Melbourne, Australia, about his career so far, and particularly how he's developed a special interest in helping people with running-related injuries. So Kevin's an experienced physiotherapist. He's a practice owner at Physio at Central Park in Melbourne, Australia, and as I've mentioned, he has a special interest in running and tendon injuries and strength assessment. And we're also joined in this conversation today by Susanna, co-hosting again. So Susanna and Kevin, welcome back to Physio Foundations. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Thanks for being here. I, I said welcome back to Physio Foundations. I guess I was talking to Susanna. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So how are you? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very well. Great. So uh, I've been hanging out to get you on the podcast for a while because you're an interesting guy. You've got a lot going on. Did I miss anything in my introduction? Is there no, anything else that you, you would you, add to that bio? No, you pretty much nail it. You pretty much nail it. Well, what about if you give us a little bit more detail, a bit of a summary of you and your interests and your career so far? Okay. So um, I started down the, uh, the pathway of um, private practice Early on in my um, career, I was a, an, an avid squash player, um, had, a, had enough of that, but um, threw myself and dived into um, a bit of triathlon, which um, I've developed because I used to do a heap of cycling as a, as a, a side activity. And um, with my interest in biomechanics, I actually started pursuing uh, initially bike setup that it just fascinated me how the body moved. But... A, a bike crash in Mount Eliza pretty much um, stopped my passion for cycling because I just got pretty nervous on the road. And, and that's where running just evolved. And um, just that, that fascination with how the body moved. And as my own personal interest in running progressed, I really wanted to dive into more and more um, with regards to how we manage runners because it was just certainly early on, just from an understanding perspective, I think there were certainly some big holes in my knowledge as well as what else was going around. So I just explored the topic more and more and more. And as that evolved, I um, started seeing more and more runners and um, and then progressed into some research, had, had the absolute fortune of um, linking up with the likes of Jill Cook and down the track, um, uh, Craig Purdom, who we're doing a bit of a, a research project with now as well, looking at car function. Um, and then um, really... From, from those interests, started doing more running assessments, um, progressing into some strength testing within the clinic. Um, I've had some fun building a, a custom uh, Smith machine. I can do a whole bunch of different uh, strength tests using um, a couple of force plates. And, um, and that's kind of evolved to me uh, running a solo clinic here in, uh, in Melbourne East. But um, by, by those avenues, I've kind of created this little um, network where I, whilst I am working independently, there's a great platform of clinicians, researchers um, around that um, I, I tap into to get some uh, some help with and, and their input. 
as I um, as I work along. So that's that's really, I suppose, a bit of a, a short of it. Mm, didn't know about the bike crash in Mount Eliza. Yeah, it's a, it's a dangerous place, Mount Eliza. It was actually not far from you guys. So uh, um, yeah, I um, it was a bit of a nasty incident, but I was very very lucky in the sense that I, I didn't get um, too badly hurt. My bike was a complete write off. Um, but just I, I, I just got scared on the road with cars, and um, I just it, it just wasn't fun anymore. So that's where I went from doing a bit of running to um, being convinced to do my first marathon. And I'll never forget crossing the finish line of my first marathon in in 06, and I just couldn't wait to do it again. So which is probably not the emotion that a lot of people feel, but as soon as I crossed the line, it was just something that I, I can't put my finger on, but. You had the um, I just wanted. I just wanted to go again. Yeah. Well, that's something, Susanna, and I want to talk to you about is your passion for running, and and you mentioned strength assessment, and then it led to some clinical interests. We sort of want to talk about how you developed yourself personally, and how you've really melded those together with what you do in the clinic, because I think that's really important. You don't get to be twenty plus years into your career like you are, and still be so passionate about it and have so much energy for it, without liking it without yeah. having something that you really like that you're bringing to work with you, right? Yeah. And it, and it is, it's that progression. And, and I think there's that element of wanting to know more and challenging yourself and accept. And I think there's that element of accepting um, what you do know, what you don't know, and what you still want to know and continually refining things and challenging the way you do things um, and, and even questioning the way you do things. Sometimes you've got to be careful that you don't question it too much because then you start, there's that element of doubting well, what's the best way um, to go with. And I think the, the running population and, and certainly working with runners is it's, it's, a, it's a really cool population to deal with because everyone has their own journey, their own story, what running means to them. Um, and and it's, 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 a, it's a really nice population to have I suppose to have evolved to to working with whilst you still work with, um, and I must say I tend to work with generally active people who are motivated and, and want to get back to doing things. But the, the the running side of things is is really interesting, and it's even in itself um, very much an evolving um, industry where there's different training concepts, different coaching concepts, footwear. I mean, I. I don't know about you guys, but I have a footwear problem where I love testing and trying the new stuff. And there's some phenomenal products hitting the market, which um, years ago, there it was, there just wasn't the same, um, um, I suppose, performance type shoes and, and options out there, which kind of adds to that excitement as to what, what you, you can play around with to, um, to help people succeed and get going with what they want to do particularly from a running perspective so yeah that's I suppose that aspect um that I found and then the other cool thing is um and, and this is the one thing it's interesting because it's the one thing I I on a personal note probably came across this later in my career but I would always encourage people to look at that aspect of um I don't want to say mentors but people who who down the track are still excited by the physio profession. And, and that's where I must say I've been very fortunate to have um, had the network. And, I, and I'll put, I suppose, these two people in particular, the likes of Jill and, and Perds up there because they've really um, helped keep me motivated and driven to keep challenging myself and, and look at different things and trying different things and exploring different things that makes 
um, work in our industry enjoyable and, um, and, and continues to, I suppose, provide a challenge. Susanna and I want to give people like you a voice. You've already got a voice, but more <laughs> of a voice through this podcast for messages like that because I fear sometimes that the um, younger clinicians and the students are exposed to some um, some less um, what's the what's a good word for it um, enthusiastic less, less enthusiastic reflections on the state of the profession perhaps yeah. there and I, and I don't think that's fair it's a very broad profession and there's so many people doing amazing things in there and they don't necessarily um, spend all their time on social media and have a podcast as well so just want to put these positive messages out so that was a really nice one I think the other thing is, is look, I'm I'm sitting here and just listening to what you've just said. um, There's not a lot of you out there in terms of, I mean, just on the weekend, I I had a lady. um, Yes, she was a runner. She's seen quite a few professionals for for her injuries, um, was sent to me. So I end up always seeing people that have seen lots and lots of people and then they come to me. And the the biggest thing that I always get back in terms of feedback is you really understand my problem um, and no one's ever explained it to me like that. And I think yeah. it's what you've just said is you're not just looking at the running injury as in, okay, you're a runner, here's the injury. What you're talking about is what how important is it to them? And running is so different, like that you've got your yeah. different distances and like you're saying, the footwear is different. You've really, and the other thing that I liked what you said was, you know, what does it mean to them? And that's know? where the thing, the, the thing comes in. We talk about running identity and the, the, I don't think a lot of people understand the identity associated with running. And for some people, running is about trying to run a fast marathon. For others, it's about running park run every week. For others, it's about just meeting up with their mates, going for a run and having a coffee. There's a, a people often sometimes look at that um, element of the the, um, the the lonely runner who's always by themselves. Now, for some people, it's it's that that time where they get clarity. And and I for me, I love this morning. I got up early, went to the tan, went up for a run with some mates, had a coffee afterwards. But then there's other times where you just need to clear your mind and running by yourself just allows that opportunity for you to do that. So there's the, the importance of what running means to a person um, really needs to be well considered. And to, to even just go up and ask, you know what, running's maybe not for you. You need to, like, I don't think some people maybe even really understand how important running is for some people. And just trying to throw that out is, is something people need to be very cautious and careful with and it can be quite devastating for an individual to be told that well maybe they shouldn't run indefinitely I mean even telling someone that they shouldn't run for a period of time I mean I, I, I kind of have a box of tissues here when you tell someone you know what this is going to be I mean if you're dealing with a, a, a high and this is probably the element with a runner is just determining what's a high risk versus a low risk injury where which injury can they keep running with can they modify their training maybe they need to add something extra to their management maybe pull things back a little bit but then there's also those injuries where you have to stop because if you keep going um and particularly some of the high risk bone stress injuries you can have disastrous long-term consequences and it's that element of educating to go you know what we pick this up, we've got to manage it and then and then get on with it um, from a long-term perspective. 
But there's also that element from an injury perspective, and I don't know what you guys are like, but I also see injury sometimes as opportunity where, yes, you're going to miss out of some of the ideals that you want to do, but it also gives you an opportunity to work on other aspects of your training load. And, and I'll, 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 I'll give him a bit of a shootout. I don't know if you know Dane Verway. He's, he's also a running physio, great runner, um, Dane um, has used the analogy of um, training loaders, bolognese sauce. It's making that perfect sauce for the individual. And I, I think it's a, it's a great analogy. And I, I've kind of taken it a little step further. If you look at, and you can use this to runners, you can actually apply this to so many other um, patient population groups. But it's just about getting that um, blend right. I mean, we know bolognese, you've got spices, you've got meat, you've got tomatoes, and, and you can just throw them all in. And you've got bolognese sauce, but really, how does that taste? Um, you can you can do your meat and then tomatoes and then throw your onions in later, and it's really not going to work out that well. So there's got to be order, structure. There's going to be a difference between the one that's slopped together um, in half an hour and then the one that's slow cooked for three or four hours. Um, but then if you throw too much of something else without consideration, it really doesn't work out. Um, I like the analogy of going, well, if you completely burn the buggery out of it, well, that's kind of the injury. You've cooked, you've got to kind of start again. So it's just that element of how you blend things together. And for a runner, it could be how they train. It could be their, their weekly volume. It could be how do they structure their hard runs versus their easy runs. The biggest issue in runners, and I know I can go off tangents, is a lot of runners just run too fast most of the time. And just understanding you can't run too fast all of the time. Um, there's also the, the element some runners can recover faster than others. Some will do strength work, which is fantastic. But if you go and do a gym session on a Monday night and then you're going to do a speed session on Tuesday morning when you haven't recovered from your gym session, you're really throwing yourself in the mix and, and potentially opening yourself up for injury. So, again, whilst this applies to the running population, considering how do we blend this all together, the same can really be said for any exercise or, or, or sporting population that, that that's out there. So it's just how you kind of look at that individual and then how do they tolerate their loads? How do they kind of fit things in? Um, and that's where we can even play. We'll, we'll jump into the footwear side of things where some footwear will be more biased towards increasing calf load. Some might be more biased to increasing knee loads. You can't, shoes don't just take load and it disappears. They do, whilst they can, they can help in certain aspects from a load perspective they can they can change it so it's just getting your head around all those variations rather than just saying oh i heard this and then just throwing it in because that's where i think a few mistakes have been made and i've certainly seen it from runners where people have made assumptions without actually assessing or applying it to the individual and then the individual's been um given a, a specific recommendation which just is, in, is not appropriate for that person at that at that particular time. Mm, Susanna's talked about this before on the podcast and quite a lot to me as well. The, as you said, the the concept of injuries being opportunities is really interesting. Yeah, and I, I just I think it's that it, it is it's it, it is a, it's a it, it is a frustrating point, especially when it takes away something that you want to do. And probably the hardest time an injury comes into play is just before a major event that you've been preparing for. And this is where it gets really complex. Of 
if you're planning on doing an overseas marathon or traveling or you've, you've put huge amounts of time and, and at least it can be devastating for, for someone to have to pull the pin on an event or, or not do an event or not complete an event. But there's also the, the, the long-term game. And, and I've been in that position where I've been running a marathon and um, I, I actually made a, 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 I say a poor decision. It was just an unfortunate time where I gone on a family holiday a couple of weeks before a marathon and spent, it was quite a different terrain that I was in whilst I was on holiday and unfortunately irritated my Achilles and I, and it calmed down by race day. But unfortunately from about 23, 24 Ks, it was just going downhill and there's kind of that element you go, well, I know I can finish, but I know if I push through this, it's going to cook me for a very extended period of time or do you pull the pin? and go, you know what, not a great experience, but the long-term game is you want to get back to running and running such an important thing. Well, there's going to be more marathons. So why why go and absolutely wreck yourself mm. on that marathon and then suffer for longer where, yes, it's short-term disappointment, but in the long-term, you know, you're making the right decision. And that's yeah. where sometimes how you negotiate and deal with the, uh, manage that scenario with the patient um sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's 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 pretty challenging yeah i remember that there was a situation we were in the mountains and luke was about to do an ultra marathon and he he just wasn't feeling well and uh <laughs> but he still wanted to do it and the day before we just went for this really small hike and he was all dizzy and sweating and um and what did you end up doing, Luke? You, you tell us. Well, I, I could, you know, the day before you get a viral infection. This is before COVID, but so, so it wasn't that. But I just, you just know. Yeah, it's before, and and yeah, what? And I and I didn't really know until we hiked up a small hill. Hang on a second, we're about to do the Bogong to Hotham. Well, I was ultra marathon was at sixty five kilometers. It's very steep, and I realized, oh, I can't do it. And it was just that moment. I'm not going. Let's pull straight out. And then yeah. it was such a good decision because the next day I was the virus kicked in and that's a really reliable way to injure yourself and, and endanger other people who are out there sweeping the course and yeah. you know, give yourself and also um, the, 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 heart problems, for example. Yeah, the, the, the long-term consequences and it's, it's a hard one to, yeah, it's a hard one to convince people to make that choice. But I, I don't know, I've, the one thing that um, I'm a strong believer in is there's, there's always that time if you're questioning yourself or if someone's going, oh, I'm not sure, you probably know the answer. And there's also that element of, convince, of, of negotiating, convincing um, patients, and I'll back this in um, time and time again when I put my shoes on and I've started running and you just go, oh, I'm, just not, I'm just not feeling um, good at the moment. And the number of times I've turned around and walked home, um, 150, 200 metres down the road, and I go, you know what? If it's a morning run, I'll, I'll go again tonight when I get home from work, once the kids are in bed, and see how I feel. And more often than not, I'm absolutely fine. It just, whatever load I had um, subjected myself to, I just hadn't recovered adequately to go again. And I think that's the other part with getting um, runners and, and our patients to understand that the, this elements with running, it's about being be able to absorb the load, recover, and then go again, absorb the load, recover again. And this can be day to day, week to week, month to month, year on year. And it's that long-term consistency that's absolute key. Um, and just being able to string that together 
Um, and that's where with the virus that comes into play, if you back things off, um, there's that element of allowing your body to recover. But the other thing to be mindful of is the longer you're off, the more cautious you've got to be from a return. So if you take one or two days off just to kind of let whatever tissue settle down and you reload again, you don't, there's no real often need to have to back off for extended periods of time. But if you tip yourself over that edge, then all of a sudden it could be four to six weeks. And then it's a it's a more gradual return to run. So it's 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 all those being able to be mindful of all those things when um when you're in that space from a, a running perspective and also um, managing individuals with um, with their injuries. Mm. As you're talking, I'm thinking about how this is coaching. And it, well, well, to be honest, so yeah. I, this is it's, this is so it's an interesting thing when you ask what has my business evolved to. So I think this is where as physios we actually have an amazing capacity to bridge that gap between the injured runner and giving them a, a return to run and then there's that so i look at it in really three phases you've got return to run return to train and return to perform and we've got to look at those very differently now a lot of people training in running groups are in that performing front there's there's very um poor aspects of considering that return to train to be able to return to perform so yes we'll give someone a, a return to run and so there are i i I will not put on my website a return to run platform because it is going to be different for every single runner. And I, I, this is one of my challenges I have when you see return to run platform shared here and then, oh, what's the best? There is no one way because it can be dependent on the runner's history. It can be their running background, how long they've been injured, what injury they have, what tissue are we dealing with? Um, is it a, a calf or a hamstring? Those two are going to be different. They're both muscular injuries, but for a runner um, and a distance runner, they're going to be very different because your hammy is going to be more sensitive to your high speed. So you can often build your volume really quite easily, whereas a calf, whether you run slow or fast, it's still working bloody hard. So you've got to be really careful with those calf strains, whereas a, a hammy and a distance runner, you, you've got a bit more um, wiggle room and play room and you can build the volume typically quicker. So it's even those simple things can be quite different. Or you might have a, a bone stress that might have influenced your posterior medial tibia, which is a relatively low, bone, low risk bone stress, but you might have a femoral neck stressy. So you've got two completely different beasts here, but they both bone stress injuries. So um, when we look at that return to run, we've, we've got that scope of getting the person going and you don't have to get everyone to 20 minutes of continuous running. Some people you might get to 30, some, might look at building volume. So you might do walk runs until they're at 60 to 80 minutes where they might be doing nine minutes of running, one minute of walking or, thir or 13 minutes of running and two minutes of walking or four ones. There's, you've just got to work with and see how each person responds and tolerates that. Then when we go into that return to train, that they might be someone who is a, is a high-end runner or even a moderate-end runner, but are they ready to, how do we reintroduce speed work? What paces should they be running? Do you just go, oh, let's try and start 200s, 400s? Well, how fast should they be running? How many should they be running? How do you progressively increase that? And even with speed work, I might suggest someone, depending again on how long they're out for, do they start with 1K worth of speed, 2Ks, or can they slot in with three or four? How do they progress to those six to eight Ks of your bigger workout sets? So it's it's really You've got to be considered in how you build that aspect. 
towards that return to perform. And then what's their weekly mileage? How does that fit in? Where do they kind of slot in recovery runs? How do they? So that's where I think as physios, we've got such great um, potential to provide input for our patients in when we can understand that. And I think that's something that um, I personally believe we've got far more um, um, scope to, to add to that because if you go from that return to run to return to your training group and 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 sort of rely on on the coach who might have 10 or 12 athletes at one time and not really know well where is this athlete at from a speed tolerance and a pace tolerance how do you kind of reintegrate it i think that there's, there's a huge gap there that we can all work on to try and refine that process so good i feel like dane's Bolognese sauce is simmering along really nicely. Yeah. And the flavors are really coming <laughs> out of this. And we're going really and look, well. And look, when when you get that bolognese sauce right, you always want seconds, don't you? Oh, 100 percent And then you want to use that bolognese <laughs> sauce for pies. You want to use the bolognese sauce for lasagna. You want to use it for everything. Yeah, you repeat, and repeat. <laughs> you, you know what the I really want to get specific here and talk about high risk and low risk injuries. And you've um, you've mentioned that a couple of times and you've, you've given us a few examples. And then you, you've also mentioned your interest in tendon injuries and research project that you're working on with Jill Cook and Craig Purdom, which is another oh, question. Jill's, Jill, Jill's, um, Jill's kind of the one that we tap into to ask her, her input on bits and pieces. But um, we've got, there's myself, her, it's um, Tanya and um, and the calf guru in uh, in Brady Green. Excellent. Oh, you'll be loving that. So tell us about some, for, for those who don't necessarily work uh, all the time, every day with people with running injuries and have 20 plus years of ex experience like you and run yourself. Just remind me that I'm old. Yep. Oh, no, <laughs> that's, this is wisdom and experience. This is not, that's what that is. Tell, give us a bit of an overview of high risk and low risk injuries. When should our index of suspicion go up? When should someone be? Okay, so hopping, hopping, hopping yeah. and that, and weight bearing tolerance for me is when I'm, mm. I'm flagging. So, um, I've got a street, you can't hop, you can't run. That, like that's a, an absolute um, definitive one for me. Like if you uh, if if you look at if you ask a patient, can you hop? And they kind of look at you going, um, I'm not so sure about that. That's when my suspicion is is really high. And then even when they come in with an antalgic gait, limping and and poor weight-bearing tolerance. I mean, you can have a, a gait where you might be altered, but if you stand on one leg and there's, there's really there's there's no issue on a basic weight bearing aspect because if you've got a sore Achilles you're going to have an antalgic gait if it's sore enough. Um, but if you're from a weight bearing perspective, you can see someone's not happy weight bearing. That's when I'm, I'm I suppose I'm I'm wanting to exclude um, those flags. Um, there and there's also that aspect, particularly in the running population, where um, there's more and more information about um, your, um, yeah, and whether it's described as REDS or Red S, where you've got your energy deficiency amongst your running population. Um, I'm always, I, I, so the one thing, especially if I've got a female distance runner, I'll, I'll explain why I want to know about that changes or alterations to menstrual cycle because again if there has been alterations or that they don't have a menstrual cycle or there's it's very infrequent um there's that element i want to be mindful what's their bone health like and bone health in the distance runner not just ladies 
because it's pretty common in male distance runners as well, especially those who've been doing a lot of distance running, even from an early age where they may have specialised into distance running at a younger age, um, you, you kind of query and wonder what their bone health might be like. So just to follow up on that, that's because if they've been doing it for longer, there's more risk of having poor so, bone, so often bone health. It's more the specialisation. So with regards to um, bone health, so certainly my understanding where you'd start looking at bone health per se is such distance running um, is not a great stimulus for, 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 for having good bone health. It's more your, your, your impacts um, activities, jumping, pivoting, twisting, change of direction. So you'll find more your, your sprinters or your basketballers or gymnasts or or, or, or the like might have, have um, um, sort of a, a higher stimulus from a, a, a bone perspective. Um, and often if you've had your distance runner who may have specialised early on, they may not have gone into playing sports like soccer or football or basketball in their younger years. And, and especially if they've been doing it at a high level and, and, and well, I say not even at a high level, but even if people have been doing it over extended periods and maybe the um, what they've been getting from a, a calorie perspective maybe doesn't match up with the demands, there is that potential for a reduction in bone health um, over the years. So that's just one thing to be mindful of. There you go, Susanna. We better keep up our cardio tennis yeah. in Eliza. Yeah, and I, I remember yeah. David Spurrier talking about sort of bone health. Yeah, um, and he used, he used the analogy of bone deafness, and that's where um, what we seem to see is after a certain number of, of loading cycles, the bone just doesn't get stimulated. So... Um, with distance running, the bone gets deaf pretty pretty early on, so it doesn't get stimulated that well, where it's more those intermittent short bursts where you then get recovery and then you, 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 you kind of have some degree of impact that stimulates the bone again um, that seems to be more osteogenic and good from a bone stimulus perspective, whereas distance running, which is, um, yeah, it, it, you, you kind of almost creating this bone deafness early on where the bone just doesn't get stimulated anymore despite being subjected to relatively high forces. Mm, it's, it's heard all the bass, guitars and drums at high volume in the stadium and it's become deaf in the same it's way kind, you would if you kind, were a, a It's rocker. kind of like you've, got, you've gone out to, the night, out to a nightclub and you've had enough dancing and the music is still going on in the background but you, you're not really paying as much attention to the music anymore. There you go. So it's an analogy for everything. So then, <laughs> then if you've got someone who fits that description and they they are specialising and that's their thing, and there's many reasons why that's uh, healthy. And there's lots of healthy things about running. Yes. Um, how do you your role as a sort of a somewhere in between a coach and an educator and a therapist practitioner? You know, so there's a lot of education you're doing. Yeah. There. How do you introduce to someone the concept that they might need to do a bit more impact and because so, they, again, well, the, the, the challenging thing from a running perspective is how do you so, – because um, strength work, so getting into a gym can potentially be a stimulus as well. So yeah. there, there's kind of that fine line as to – and we're going to go back to our bolognese sauce because if you start throwing in higher impacts with that running too much, then you don't want to create a new problem whilst they're already doing lots of running as well. So that's where potentially just introducing some strength work in the gym – um, has that capacity to start adding that element in. You, you might have the, the scope of adding in 
just small jumps within their warm-up of their run where you might get them doing a couple of sets of 10 jumps and that maybe it, double leg jumps as a starter, just, just to start introducing a little bit of stimulus because the last thing you want to do is start throwing high plyometric jump lows to someone who does huge volume of plyometrics, which running is a plyometric activity. So you just don't want to create a new problem by then throwing in too much of something else. It's kind of like going, well, maybe a bit of salt's going to make a, um, it tastes a little bit better, but hey, we're actually going to throw in a huge chunk of salt because, well, salt's good. So the more we throw in, the better it's going to be. And then it, 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 you you kind of um, have a a bad effect on your bolognese sauce. So it's just about how you introduce that in little snippets just to create a little bit of stimulus, um, which is going to be effective for the person as well with um, minimal risk of creating anything else um, new from an injury perspective. And how, like you've you've spoken about the strengths um, a few times now. Yeah. And with, with me in the clinic particularly, like if I know someone's already doing uh, a lot of training. Um, I've yep. already got this schedule and I've had it before where people have added in a strength training session, but on top of what they're already doing. So, so again, if, if they've never, so there's a different, so there's probably two people we're dealing with. One is the person who's already been doing strength work and then the person who's never done any strength work or hasn't done some for a while. So if you're going to start introducing some strength work, we know there's going to be um, that element of um Oh, the words just um, metabolic stress. There's going to be more stress through the, um, the the tissue, and there's going to be a fatigue element that we've got to be respectful and mindful of. So, if one introduces strength work into a running program, existing program, and they're running regularly, I typically would go with twice a week. If they if they're injured and they're not running, well, you've actually got a bit more flexibility. You can probably do three sessions, and then as they start running, you drop it to two and probably just before an event, you drop it to, to one or in the weeks leading up to an event, you might drop it to one because you're just being mindful that the running load's cranked up. So maybe the gym work drops or if they still do their two sessions, those two sessions are either shorter or there's less work within those two gym sessions. So again, we're, we're playing around with the different things that make our bolognese sauce. Um, then with regards to introducing it to someone who's never done it, then something else has got to give from a running perspective short term. So you've got to go, well, what is a reasonable time frame to allow the body to adapt to introducing new strength work where we might pull back the volume of the running a little bit or maybe the speed work a little bit. But this is the other thing to consider is when do they do the strength work? So I actually don't mind, and I'm actually very comfortable with someone doing strength work on a day they run just after the run. So ideally at least three hours um, after the run, but you can do it, I mean, again, depending on how time poor someone is, um, but what I don't want you doing is a gym session before your run or especially if you're new to running within 24 hours, sorry, new to doing gym work within 24 hours of your next run. However, if you're, you've been doing gym work consistently, you are running regularly, uh, it, as long as the run is easy after a gym session, then, then that's okay. But what I wouldn't do is a hard or a long run session within 24 hours of a, a gym session. So for example, say you do a gym session on a Monday night, your next speed session could be maybe Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. 
Or if you're going to do your long run on a Saturday, don't do your gym session on a Friday. If you can only get into the gym on a Friday, maybe shift your long run to the Sunday. So it's just about how you play with those levers so that you get the stimulus and adequate recovery. And I don't mind someone being fatigued in the gym and not being able to push in the gym as much as they would ideally like to because they're tired from a run. What I don't want someone doing is doing a really solid, great strength session, but then struggling to recover from that and then impacting their running. So it just depends on the primary goal. That's that's what it is because I can hear people listening to this and go, hang on, I've heard the opposite message from people who are pro-strength and saying, well, hang on, be fresh for your strength training. And I think you've just nailed it in the last sentence. It depends what your goal is. Yeah. And can I just say, so I've I've worked with um, uh, bodybuilders before and uh, you, they used to always talk about you can tell who's not a bodybuilder because they don't have leg days, right? <laughs> so, so those those gym goers that just want to look good, so they often, you know, they, they want those big biceps and the, the pecs, et cetera. What are your, let's say, top three exercises in the gym, like strength-wise, for runners? Um, so it would be for runners. Calf raises without a doubt. So seated calf raises, standing calf raises. So those two uh, are ones that I love. Um, I like going single leg um, um, leg strength. So things like Bulgarian um, split squats um, are fantastic. Um, A leg press can be quite nice as well because you can control um, the the weight fairly um, well if um, if you haven't got great trunks to do, but there's the, there's the, the pros and the cons because you can often push a load more easily with a leg press because stability is less of a concern. Um, the, the, the ones, though, that I'm cautious with a leg press are those who maybe have got a, a, an unhappy hip joint. They're not going to like coming into too much hip flexion or if you've got a, a, a bit of a grumbly um um, PFJ again, that PFJ can be worked really nicely with that if, if you restrict the the range somewhat. So you can play around with the ranges of those exercises really nicely. Um, I also like for, if we look at a hamstring perspective, as long as there is no hemi tendon issue, um, a deadlift um, can be a really nice exercise. Um, or you can then go into your more traditional hamstring curls or knee extensions. Because at the end of the day, when you're going to the gym. And I'm I'm a I'm a bit of a funny one on the term functional training. I, I don't for me functional training for running. There is only one functional training for running, and that is running. Squats are not more functional for running than a knee extension or a hamstring curl. Or that they, they are squats, which are great from a, a multi joint stimulus. Um, but if you're looking Good for at, bone density as well. Oh, it's yeah. quite, so they are a great exercise, but to say they are better, they are just different exercises. And I don't- Yeah, we don't need I'm to all, rank them. No. And, and that's where, for me, you're looking at, well, which muscles do we need to really target from a running perspective? Um, we also, there's also um, um, great justification in going to the, the basic hip abduction machine to really target glute meat. Because if you go to even, you look at which muscles from a distance runner do we need to make sure are well-conditioned? Calf, especially soleus, we need good quads from um, that um, shock attenuation, especially from a a downhill running perspective. The quads are going to be working pretty solidly the whole way through and glute meat, which is also a bias for me. Um, So if we're looking at targeting um, 
specifics, those are the ones. Hammies are, are, are good, especially as you start looking at higher speed um, running. Though the, the one query I have, and we talk about hamstring tendon issues, and again, we can start jumping around with which conditioning exercises are best. And I could argue, well, it depends on the individual as well, because someone might be getting recurring hamstring tendon issues, especially when they're running uphill. And you can go, oh, well, they've got to do heaps of hammy strength, heaps of hammy strength. We've got to push that hammy strength. But it might just be that when they run uphill, they 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 flex their trunk excessively. So they are putting themselves in a position which is likely to irritate that proximal hamstring tendon. So is it a technique perspective that they maybe need a more focus on or is it just the hemi strength or maybe well we go there's pain there we need to address strength but we also need to address what they do from a a um a, a body awareness or a trunk position when they run understood so the top three exercises you recommend would be clams leg extensions <laughs> and bicep curls got it as that's good <laughs> but yeah so the calf to sum that up the calf the hamstring the, the muscles the prime movers of running and don't forget your you know your coronal plane your, your yeah, so you stability meat, through your trunk meat meat meat. From, a, from a from a um a, a pelvic um stability perspective because we've got to be mindful of um a, again how stable we are when our foot hits the ground and and there's that element of, of being able to have that element from do we look at a bottom up or a top down um front I, I think we, we, we've got to cover all bases when you're looking at runners who are really bounding from one leg to the other. You've got to be able to have that um, load acceptance from the, the foot and ankle complex. You've got to have some good control from the knee and you also have to have your, your, your hip um, contributing effectively as well. Um, the, the one thing I suppose that we're, we're mindful of is, what I'm mindful of is, again, there's a, a huge drumming of it's all in the hips, it's all in the hips, we've got to work glutes, we've got to work glutes, and yes, glutes are important, um, but from my mind, I would have, have calves at the top of my list as, as priority. Yeah, that's great. So uh, we're, there's so much more I want to talk about here. You've opened up so many different conversations and I'd love to do this again. We do need to wrap this up soon because you've got to get back to your um, your day. What do you think, just the question I ask everyone, what do you think are the most important knowledge and skills for a physiotherapist from your perspective? Oh, knowledge and skills. So I reckon not. So I know what you, there's that element. I think there's the, the old um, statement of there are no knowns. There are things that we know that we don't know. And then there are things that we don't know that we don't know. Like, from a knowledge perspective, um, we, we continually evolve, um, question yourself, question others. Um, there's, there's an element of being able to constantly explore things and, and challenge ideas that we, I don't know, I'm, I, it's something that I've probably gone down different pathways where it's, it's okay to disagree with um, with others, even if it may be that they might um, have a huge element of knowledge in an area, it is actually okay to um, to, to challenge different ideas and challenge your own ideas. So those are probably, I suppose, one of the I suppose one of the key things I probably do sometimes. Probably do it too much. That's so good. That's an answer. I haven't heard it answered in that way before. So to question yourself and challenge your, your ideas and your biases. It's, it's, I don't know. I just kind of think reflect. it's a way to, to, to grow yourself. Otherwise, you just get, I think you ask that question about that element of interest. I think it's easy to just kind of 
do you use what you know and do what you know and kind of go day to day, but you've got a long working career and you want to enjoy your working career. And I, I don't know, I, there's an element of job versus career, but you've, you've got to have um, follow your interests and follow your passions because, um, and that's probably the one thing that I would I would recommend people do because I I was in in a um, a state earlier in my very early on in my career where I was kind of being really pushed into doing something that was in the interests of a clinic, but really not so much in my own personal interest. And I, I wonder how many professionals, not just in physio, kind of end up doing things because it's in someone else's interest that you do it. Um, it's, it's kind of talked to you that it should be in your interest and these will be good for you as a person, but you may actually not really be that interested or passionate about it. So, yeah. Mm, that's a really and interesting I, and take. And the thing is, is like we, um, Kevin and I went to the the recent sports medicine conference um, up in the Gold Coast, which which was really nice. But the, And that's exactly what you're talking about. And that's what I think once you're a, a, a graduate, um, you've got all this knowledge, but you don't necessarily have the clinical experience. And that's what you're talking about is you can easily just get into like just being in your own silo, really, in your own clinic, um, doing the same thing, the things that you know. But until you go to courses or things like conferences, listening to podcasts, and you have that experience and then like even just from today, there'll be people listening to this podcast thinking of how they treat runners and take the pearls and wisdom that you've now um, put out there and that they can chat and it can challenge their beliefs. And that and that I agree is is what keeps you enjoying what you do is not being afraid of thinking, hey, maybe I didn't do that correctly or I can improve on that or the other thing is is you know putting you know tapping yourself on the back when you that's exactly what I do you know that sort of thing but you won't get that unless you push yourself um beyond what you do in the clinic mm. so that's you know listening to podcasts reading um some textbooks or journal articles going to conferences etc and you know the the thing the face to face that i really enjoy about conferences is the discussion like that we even had after um quite and, a and, few and of the presentations people. and approaching yes. people and just asking a question and, and not going this is a, a silly question or, or whatever because it's yeah it, it just even a, a a silly type question can open up discussion into things that maybe you just haven't considered yourself. And one of those would be your entrepreneurial side. So, oh. <laughs> so you challenge yourself with a different, so, and this is, uh, the reason I want to bring this up isn't necessarily just a gratuitous plug for you and what you're doing. I'll, like I'll take the plug. We've, we've, we've got to get, we've got to get people wearing some fun and funky colors out there. <laughs> That's it. Because you've, um, because there's a lot of people out there who will have an interest in exploring the entrepreneurial side uh, and, and they're a practitioner or they might be doing other things and they want to go there. So sort of interested in your experiences there. So you've got Gravel and Tar, your business. So I've set Tell up us about a, that. Yes, I've set up a new business, Gravel and Tar. I love a bit of colour. Running, you guys stand at the start line, go watch running groups. Everyone wears boring black and grey shorts. That's it. Didn't used you to be that way. Sorry? Didn't used to be that way yeah, in the, in the oh, 80s. So, so, yeah, in the 80s. I mean, I, like I even did the the recent, the um, the Carmen's um, fun run, which is a, a, 
a, a big one for breast cancer awareness. So I've got some pink shorts that I was wearing. I've got a pink hat and pink socks, but everyone's wearing just black black shorts. And how it kind of evolved was um, I needed some new running gear and, and was going through and I, I wanted to add a bit of colour from a shorts perspective because just something a bit different. And when I had a look, there was really not much out there on the market. The other thing is being able to take stuff with you, having pockets and people complain about, oh, they've got no pockets and things like that. So I decided, well, I'm, I'm going to tap my, my old man who's been in the textile trade for 30 years. So that was a, a very handy contact to have. And um, we, we kind of went on this journey of um, exploring options to make some fun and funky running shorts with pockets, which I would typically want to have. And um, there are options out there with like flip belts and, and other belts to take stuff with you. But I'll be honest, I, I kind of find it, I'll, I'll sometimes forget to pack it or I find it a bit uncomfortable. So I made some shorts which have heaps of pockets. You can take a phone with you. Some people do like a phone, some don't, but you can stick gels in your pockets and keys. If you want to go for a walk somewhere, you can chuck something in your pocket, use a zip. So it, it was just something that evolved through that avenue. And um, because I obviously I, I, I love my running, um, I've it's kind of evolved into this um, little business which um, I've named Gravel and Tar, which it really um, replicate well, is a reflection of the surfaces that we we run on, and I kind of like the the little abbreviation of GNT, which again it's it's all about fun. That's that's what the brand's about, and um, I'm hoping to see more and more people out there. Um, running, it was this morning. I, I ran with some mates I mentioned earlier, and they made a comment to me that they were running um, along the Capital City Trail here in Melbourne, and um, they ran past four blokes all wearing um, my shorts. So I was kind of oh, wow. there's, that, there, there's that element where um, I, I know a group. There's a, a group that um, I do a bit of running with, and a whole bunch of them have bought some uh, shorts, and um, it was kind of that little bit of pride where. Um, people are spotting it out and about. I had a couple of mates in Tokyo running Tokyo Marathon who um, the shorts were out on display uh, overseas. So where it goes, who knows? But it's a it's a good fun side business and, geez, I'd love it to, um, to, to get bigger and better, but time will tell. And I think the other thing that's really important and I really like that you've put in there is the zip pockets. So it's not just pockets. It's, you know, you've got your zip pockets. Three of them. <laughs> and you've got like in in the liner you can put a phone yeah. in there and the thing is not everyone likes that liner so i actually the one thing that i've actually just did my run this morning is is a new sample that i got which has just got the more traditional brief liner so some people may not want to have the bite short liner but prefer that um so i'm just it's that element of being able to kind of get a sense of what runners want across the spectrum and then just trying to because it is a small brand certainly at the moment and hope it gets bigger and bigger but um you can start to add those options for runners because not everyone likes and wants to run with the same same setup so what i was just going to quickly say the other thing that i really like is we have two sons um, one is, you know, he, he's going from, you know, the, the kids sizes and he, he's sort of outgrown that. So he's now in the adult sizes and like, you're right, but there's nothing in the adult sizes that's, that's fun. He's, you know, he's 12 and, uh, we bought some shorts from you for him with, you know, the funky pattern <laughs> of, I think it is, is it a lemon it like or a lemons. lime? Lemons. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, um, on this blue backdrop and he's been wearing them. He finds them so so comfortable. He's been wearing them all the time and you can wear them down to the beach. We live near the beach, so he's always there um, And we're, when we're out and about. So I think it's not just for adults, but I think, you know, that, those sort of teenage mm. years. It's, um, it's interesting you say that because um, I've got a couple of good contacts. This is where it's important to reach out to people you come across. So I've got a couple of contacts um, two, well, two of these, actually three contacts I went to, three of them are um, running specialty retailers and one works within one of the major brands. And when I say one of the major brands, one of the, the big running brands, and I went down and I said, what sizes, how much volume of each size do you need to order? Because you've got to take a punt when you, you're doing it is how many smalls, how many mediums, how many larges? And it's interesting getting them because they gave me the scope from the general running population. Now, similar to you, I've actually had a few mums buy them for their teenage kids. Now, interestingly, in the adult running population, mediums are the number one sellers. Largest are the number two sellers and small is the number three. I've actually sold probably more smalls than largest because I've had quite a few parents buy them for their teenage kids. So it's you just it's this learning. And again, this is a new platform I'm learning. Likewise, in the physio front, we all learn, we all evolve from where we start. We kind of have this, these ideas and things that we, we think and, and perceptions we have. And as we go along, it's important to evolve and challenge and, and change direction with, with what we, we do. So, mm. What advice yeah. would you give um, physios, practitioners, clinicians of any type who have had their training and their, their content and their their skills are evolving but they want to develop the entrepreneurial side of things you're Back a business yourself. owner you've um you've started this this business so well, it's a bit do, of a jump do, isn't it do, what do you do? do your do your do your research be comfortable and back yourself like i think um it, and, and it's really interesting when you look at how things are in the in the world of and we see it in the physio world we see it in any business world I think the one thing that always surprises me is sometimes the people who are so much more supportive than you expect and sometimes those you expect to be supportive that actually aren't necessarily as supportive as what you expect. And you just those are just the realities of running any sort of business or life where there are that's just how it, I've certainly found it both within the physio world as well as getting this off the ground. Some people will support you phenomenally well and others just won't have that same um, sort of push to support from the back. And, and that's just kind of how it is. And But I, I, I don't know. I think there's that element. You've got to, when you make a decision, you've got to back yourself. You can't, you can't kind of um, validation second, all the time. second mm. guess yourself all the time. There, yeah. there does come a point where you've got to, I mean, I, I might look back in two years or three years and go, yeah, that was that was fun. I didn't lose too much or whatever. But I'm, I'll be honest. I'm hoping in a few years' time, I'm sitting there going, you know what? I'm devoting two days a week to gravel and tar, and three days a week to physio. I don't. People have said to me, "Oh, if gravel and tar takes off. Geez, you won't be." I, I don't want to. I enjoy being a physio, and I don't want to. If so, I here's a bit of a a, a, a bit of me. I don't want to have staff. I don't want to have physio staff because I want to worry about looking after my patients and dealing with my patients. I don't want to be managing staff from a physio perspective. Um, but and this is another business. If this has the capacity to grow, well, it's the pro the product is me and it's it's the product that you're dealing with as opposed to a service. So I think there's that element with product versus service where in my head is quite different. 
Um, but I don't want to stop doing what I do as a physio. It's just the element of, well, do I continue doing it five days a week indefinitely or is there something that I can do that allows me to work um, three days a week um, for three full days as a physio and maybe have a couple of days doing other things or maybe doing four days as a, as a physio or in a couple of half days. So you, you just don't know how these things may evolve over time. But I think it's just that element of putting yourself out there and um, and and as long as you're willing to have a crack and not – so I, I learned from a, a very good friend of mine um, and he's got an interesting – I'll give a plug for his book because I, I do get a couple of features in there. There's one of my very, very good mates is a guy, Tristan Miller, who ran 52 marathons in – 52 weeks. There have been some people who've done some crazier things since, but he travelled the world and travelled from event to event. And there's that element of, I think a lot of people fear failure. And you, you can't, like, if you fear that element of having a crack and it not working out, well, then you're never going to give yourself that opportunity. But if you throw yourself in there and give yourself an opportunity, you never know what might eventuate. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully, we can uh, come back and do a podcast in a couple of years' time and uh, and the, the brand's gone global, but we'll see. Yeah, good luck. Don't fear failure. Back yourself. These are some wise words. This is, this is important because there'll be people listening to this who want to take a similar pathway. And to hear this from you, to hear what you're doing and what you're thinking, particularly just being really honest with the, the reason why you don't have staff, why you're a solo practitioner as well, Credit to all the business owners who are employing staff yeah. because that's a really oh, I, important I part of our off. industry. Yeah, I take my hat off because it's hard. Like you've got to like managing businesses, managing staff. It's not an easy front. And I, I agree. I just it's not me. And and I think there's that element of going. You've got to find what works for you as a person. And for me, um, I'm just I don't want to. I don't um, on a personal bias. I want to focus on. There's the small business front and managing my patients, whereas other people um, really enjoy the challenges of the management side of things and, and also that option of growing a business and, and having uh, multiple practitioners and then multiple sites. And it's that business element, which, and this is, again, Physio provides people with various platforms to go down. It's just not the platform that I have chosen for myself. Mm. We're so out of time. But I can't stop talking to you. It's really, really enjoyable. <laughs> Sorry, we have to... I, I can't. Sometimes I, sometimes I, I can talk a bit too much. No, don't, don't apologise. It's been a great conversation. There's so much in here, and I'll put the show notes together. So if you haven't seen the show notes um, for, for listeners, you can go through and you can see the timestamps of all the interesting things the guests are saying. And there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. Um, quick final thoughts, Susanna or Kevin. I just think it, you're, you're a brilliant example of someone who loves the profession um, and loves treating patients and, you know, it's just so nice to to hear that enthusiasm because there's so many times, you know, being 20-plus years in a profession and you talk to, you know, friends and colleagues, not necessarily just in physio, you know, but they're, they're getting to that point where they're really just thinking of retirement, they're thinking of finishing, all that sort of stuff, not really having that same enthusiasm that you have and it's it's just refreshing and, it, and it's just an example of, you know, particularly for new grads, this is how you can be 20 years on in physiotherapy and I think 
that's the best thing about physiotherapy in general or a lot of professions, particularly in allied health, is there's so many different avenues. Um, find your niche and really stick to it. I mean, I, I was told um, really early on is, you know, don't be one of those, you know, practitioners that does everything. You know, you do whiplash, you do low back pain, you do sporting injuries, You because you're never going to be any good at one of those things. So if you can find your niche um, and really expand on that, not only will you get better in that area, but you'll also get those referrals. You really enjoy what you're doing because the list that you're looking at, you want to treat all those patients. You're, you're looking forward to it. And like you said, you know, th then you start wanting to learn more um, about the things that you don't know because you understand the things that you don't know. And it's just, it's just brilliant. So thank you. Thank you. I, I kind of, I, I must admit, I never really look at it that way. But um, yeah, I, you just, I don't know, you just do what you do. And yeah. So thank it's a chance you. to reflect on what you do. Well, where can we track? Where can people track you down? How can people find so, out about um, you and so your work? So I post a little bit. On, so I'm not. I'm not a Twitter user. Twitter, yeah, Twitter. I find can be a bit. Anyway, I stay away from Twitter. Um, I do have a bit of fun on on Instagram. So um, Physio Central Park, or more recently, which is probably the the one that I have a bit more fun with, is uh, is uh, GNT underscore Gravel and Tar, which is um, if you want to be entertained with um, running shorts um, and some some cool colours, um, there's that. Otherwise, Physio at Central Park. I also put some stuff up, and I'm I must admit I'm 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 sometimes a, I go through phases where I'll put some stuff up and then I kind of drop off a bit. Whereas the running side of things is actually pretty easy because every time you go for a run, you can share some stuff about the run. It's all relevant, so, isn't it? Oh, it's easy on that one. So I'm a, yeah. a gravel person. You a tar person or or a gravel person? What? So I love running on the gravel, but um, from a tar perspective, I've got I, I, I like challenging myself. By he the likes clock. to be going fast. You like your Strava profile? I'm not, I'm not fast. I'm a, I'm a diesel. But there's an element of it's easier to give yourself specific time goals on tar surfaces as opposed to gravel because. With gravel, there's lots of variations, obviously hills and surface and <laughs> I love the variation. I'm yeah. like turn the watch off and run on the sand sort of guy. So, yeah, yeah. we're coming from different ends on that. Susanna? Yeah, no, I'm, gravel I'm, or tar. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a metronome. I like keeping it, uh, everything consistent. What are you? She, she I, likes I, her look, music. I, I think, yeah, I actually do like my music, but I, I, I think Luke said it once um, with, with his ultra marathons, he said it, it's not about the ultramarathon, it, it's about where they do it. And often with the ultramarathons, um, you know, they're, they're in national parks and, you know, it was really nice how Luke had put it. He said, if I was to walk those paths, there would be no way that I'd be doing, you know, like 100 kilometres of those paths and I wouldn't be able to see the things that I see when I run. And so that's what I like to do as well. I, I like to just... Not look at the the stopwatch all the time and and just run. I mean, we're we're by the beach. If you look at my Strava, my times are terrible, um, but it's often because I stop and I just have a look at at the scenery, and then I'll just walk a little bit, and then I'll go back for a run, um, and I just feel good about getting out there. And I think that's what you said, Kevin, in terms of it's not just about fitness, but it's also about the mental health. And that's, you know, having that sort of time out for yourself, that's what I enjoy. So, um, yeah, that's me. Cool. So good, guys. Let's wrap it up. 
Let's leave it there. But we, we no need worries. to do thanks, this again. Thanks for having me on. Uh, our pleasure. Well, thanks everyone else for listening and joining us in the conversation. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. Um, connect with us. You can find Kevin and all his details in the show notes. And you can find us at Periton Physio. You can find me at Luke Periton. And funnily enough, even though Susanna's PhD isn't conferred or finished yet, you can find Susanna at Dr. Zuzi. She's had that email and and um, tag for many years. So she's just putting it out there that she's going to be a doctor one day. <laughs> so until next time, this is Kevin, Susanna and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning.